on-air training or they've done some kind of communications mm-hmm. work where they've taught them because you know like reporters they teach them to be like that's right bob and bill um yeah there's a there's a yeah there's a certain way you say words and yeah yeah and you got to enunciate in the right yep. spots to you got to put the right what is it emphasis on the right syllable? syllable that's a classic i feel like teachers would use that as a joke all the time hey kids in the hallway oh it's vice principal mccracken <laughs> Oh, you put the wrong emphasis on the wrong syllable. You're, you're not funny, sir. It's okay. <laughs> we don't like your jokes. You're just walking around the hall. Hey, kids. Shouldn't you be in class? School's over. <laughs> well, hello and welcome to this episode of Totally 80s and 90s Recall. Do you remember playing Atari or listening to a Walkman, maybe using your dial-up internet to log on for the first time, or perhaps the most famous zip code in the world, 90210? If so, this is the podcast for you. I am one of your hosts, David Ohl, along with my good friend and also our de facto executive producer, Rob McCracken. How are you? Uh, I'm excited about this episode. Um, I think this will be a divisive one, because I, I think our... our uh, idea of what was good in 96 is going to be wildly different well go ahead well according to some of our pre-production work nothing was good in 96 for you uh, from a movie standpoint whereas i had a really hard time finding just 10 movies because i could have picked 10 other movies um, okay i'm just going to read a few that were that did not make my list and if they make your list no we can't do that yet well no we can do that later yeah because I don't want to spoil anything because if they do make my list, then it's going to get off the start. It's going to sound like those are the bad ones, and that's not true. So, so we'll sum it up. We'll sum it up at the end. Hey, I I do want to ask you something. Uh, A while ago, several episodes ago, you used the phrase, and I want to give you a chance to clean it up. You referred to YouTube as the YouTube. Do you want to? Yeah. So, well. It's an old person moment. Um, I said the YouTube, like, you know, old people will say the things like when they're like, oh, I used the dial-up internet first time ever or something. But I said the YouTube. I know what YouTube is. And I said it because I was thinking of saying something else. And I started with the 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 at the beginning. And then my brain switched on me, which it might do at time to time. And the YouTube came in. And so it blended together. And it was too late. It was out there in the world, and I couldn't get it back. So for everyone listening, I'm not old and senile. I know it's just YouTube, but uh, every now and again, I start talking too fast, and things like the can creep in where they don't belong. All right. I just want to give you a chance to clear that up. Um, before we get into the list, 96, what were you doing in 96? So in 96, I was in my first full year in the Air Force. And I was stationed in Japan, right outside Tokyo. Um, and yeah, I was basically learning how to be in the Air Force as a young 19-year-old uh, going on 20-year-old kid. And I was graduating high school, 96, graduated high school. Yeah, because uh, although Rob and I are only a year apart in age, we are two years apart in school. So uh, when I first met him, he's much bigger than I am. He always has been. So I kind of assumed we were the same age and became friends, only to find out short time after that that he was two years behind me in school. But that didn't mm-hmm. stop our friendship. We, we persevered and were able to still stay friends despite your uh, youthful immaturity. Well, uh, what people may not know is that Robbie got to do first grade twice. I, I got to do first grade twice. So you and I technically should have been the same grade? No, year apart then. Year apart. Okay. Yeah. So... But that's fine, because in the 80s, uh, they like to encourage if you're really good at something, you let's try it again. Try it again. So, yeah. But that's fine. They, you, you're, you're an educator now. Um, you work in education. Mm-hmm. They don't do that to kids anymore, correct? They, they do. It's not a, not, a, uh, not a best practice. We'll put it that way. Yeah, but it used to be basically if the school said, he's doing it again, you're doing it again. Now, mm-hmm. don't like the parents kind of have to sign off or... Yeah, and right, and then there's there's got to be something different. You can't just do it again, which is 
We're just going to put them back and give them this dose of it again. Same thing. Yeah, but in the 80s, we did, they didn't know any better. No. They were like, yep, just this is what's going to happen. Yep. So, but look, doesn't matter. You've... Uh, You've you've grown. It You're in well. education now. You've got multiple degrees. You're like a doctor with all the degrees on your mall on your That's wall. That's not true. It's it's a it's a great I'm thing. Not a doctor. <clears throat> so whatever happened was meant to happen to get you to this point, so you can affect all these other younger generations. True, true. We'll, we'll go with that. So, what was your? Uh, how did you feel about your selection for movies of '96? So I feel great about it. Uh, the Do you feel I like picked, there was a, a there, that there was a um, a, a uh, ample source to pull from a well to pull from you felt like there was enough material there i had a list of 25 to 30 movies that i had to cut down to the 13 we're using and uh yeah i there were ones i left off that i really wanted to put in um so i think going back to our sitcom episode i think i'm more in was more into movies at this time than you were so you watched movies but um when I was overseas in Japan, I was always at the movie theater on base or uh, renting movies from the video store on base because there wasn't a lot else to do. Um, so I kind of consumed anything and everything, and I found a lot of movies that I really liked that way. Okay. All right. I, I'm going to respectfully disagree. I did not think that the pool was deep on this one, but we'll, we'll see as we... Well, I think we're going to find uh, from any listeners who were around in 96 and remember it well that your opinion's going to be not the popular one because there are some great movies that I'm going to highlight and then you're going to go, yeah, never mind, I missed that That's one. what I'm hoping for. Yeah, so. Well, for this podcast, if it's your first time joining us, we're so glad to have you. Thanks for uh, tuning in and seeing what we have to say. For those returning listeners, great to have you back. Hopefully we can have some more fun. But we're going to discuss and cover all things 80s and 90s from music and movies to television and pop culture. And we're going to be doing this by creating lists for each episode of the selected topic. And for this episode, our selected topic, as Rob kind of alluded to, we're going to do the top movies of 1996. And as I said, this was not easy for me. Obviously easy for Rob, but not easy for me. I had to leave a lot of movies off the list. So uh, I still got some real good ones, but I had to leave a few on the cutting room floor. Man, I don't know. Okay. Well, this is this will be interesting. All right, you want me to dive in? Um, yeah. I mean, before you dive in, why do you why do you think there was not a good pool of movies to choose from? I don't know. I'm looking at the list, and I just didn't. I don't know. A lot of them were kind of a the big. They were big popcorn movies. You know, they were the movie theater, and maybe I don't. Maybe I. I don't know. I just I didn't have a some I didn't have good ones. What kind of movie do you like? What are you looking for? In ninety six, well, what no, were you looking no, that's for? That's a good point because I think You're some of the ones in high school. Yep, what are you looking for? I don't know. And I think some of the ones that I picked I wasn't super enamored at the time with the big blockbuster thing. So I was looking for more of the heady movies and but there there are heady movies. And maybe I didn't I and a lot of them a, a lot of them on the list that I, that made the cutting room floor, um, I know were big movies, uh, but I just never saw them. So I know gotcha. there were Academy Award winners, and and, I, too, and I didn't see them. So you were too busy still in high school because that was your senior year, and you were a big time basketball player. So a lot of your time is consumed by practice and playing. So maybe you just didn't have time to see all these movies or appreciate them in the way they should have been. Maybe, but then I'm looking at my number nine, and right out of the gate, it's it's not a heady movie at all, and so I don't know. I'm I'm a mess. Yeah, you're like a 17, 18 year old. I don't know what kind of heady movie you're looking I for. Yeah. You would think like you know fart jokes and things would be right, and throwing uh, buildings blowing up would be right up your alley. And there was a plethora of that in 1996. So yeah, all right, all right. Well. Let's rewind back to 1996 and head on over to Blockbuster to find that perfect Friday night video and take a look at our favorite movies of the year. And just like we always like to do, we're going to let Rob lead off uh, because he always comes out of the gate strong. All right, my number 10 is Independence Day, released July 3rd, 1996. And it was the highest grossing film of that year. 
And up until Aladdin, it was Will Smith's most successful movie. Um, again, that's, this was a popcorn one. It was a go to the theater. It was the surround sound. It was the blowing things up. So um, Independence Day is how I'm I'm starting it. I remember going to the theater and seeing this. It was a big deal. It was I mean, we probably saw this multiple times. Yeah, I stood in line because we only had the one theater on base. I stood in line for over an hour, hour and a half uh, to watch this. And then, yeah, summer blockbuster. Um, I've watched it multiple times since, and I don't feel the same about it that I did then. I agree with that that sentiment. Absolutely. You watch it. I remember at the time the CGI or the, the effects were supposed to be big, and, and now I look back and... Well, and I would say it's a Will Smith-driven movie, and he's supposed to be all that is in that movie. But I, I like Jeff Goldblum the best in that movie. Uh, but I like Jeff Goldblum, so most things he's in, I'm, I'm pretty excited to watch. Uh, but Will Smith, to me, is when he's doing what he's good at, he's good. And then other times, like I would say in a movie like Bad Boys, I like him in that. Uh, Independence Day as an action star, it's okay. Um you know, there's others I think sell action star a little more, but he made a lot of money uh, with plenty of these movies in the 90s. For like four years, he was the summer, mm-hmm. you could bank it. He makes a summer movie, it's getting millions of dollars every year. Yep. No, that's that's my number 10. We're starting out with the highest grossing film of 96. All right, so my number 10, and <laughs> you're going to like this, It is Fear. Okay. Now, this is a movie that stars Mark Wahlberg. Reese Witherspoon, and then uh, Alyssa Milano. Those are your big hitters. So this is basically a movie about uh, Mark Wahlberg's character becomes infatuated with Reese Witherspoon, and he is kind of a psycho, as it would be. Uh, So ends up, again, uh, if you listen to any of our other episodes, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen these movies, uh, pause now, go watch the movies, because we are going to talk about them. But uh, back to it, Mark... Wahlberg's character gets a little crazy. Um, he tattoos his arm with a pen. Um, he puts Nicole Foeva, okay, spelled four, like the number, with E-V-A afterwards. Foeva. Eva. And he uh, basically kills her best friend, who's a guy, who was of no threat, but does it anyway, and then breaks into her house at the end. It's a big, you know, climactic scene. Um, but... Uh, was he, was I, he writing the market? Well, how... Was this after the funk? How far after the funk? So this bunch? was a little after the Funky Bunch, and he had already been in the Basketball Diaries. That's how he got this, and he was really good in the Basketball Diaries with Leonardo DiCaprio. So the director wanted him in it for this, but he's Mark Wahlberg in this. If you've seen Mark Wahlberg in movies, he's kind of whisper talking, and he's kind of he looks like he's always kind of thinking off in the distance and not really paying attention to what's going on around him, and you know, and he's wearing tight fitting clothing and all the things you would do. Uh, good 90s throwback he's wearing a lot of short sleeve t-shirts over long sleeve t-shirts that was a good look in the 90s people probably still do it but it was very prevalent in the 90s but but this had a terrible rotten tomato score 45 percent. so that's pretty bad however the audience much more excited about it at 63 percent um look if i watch it now it's probably not the greatest movie but at the time i just thought it was a good thriller uh, i thought Wahlberg was a little funny and uh i enjoyed watching it I have to say the only thing I remember, and I don't know that I saw it, but there's the infamous roller coaster scene. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, I mean, that's the biggest scene in the movie. And she's supposed to be, you know, in high school. So it's a bit of a racy situation because he's like in his, easily in his early 20s. He's already graduated school or at least stopped going uh, because during the day they're playing pool and doing other nefarious actions. They're doing things that would look like, you know, seedy individuals would be doing. Um, but it was in, it was, it was in Seattle. So it was Northwest looking movie, a lot of coffee houses, things like that. All right. My number nine, we just talked about heady movies of 96. This is, uh, my number nine is happy Gilmore. Yeah. That, Uh, that, that strikes (laughs) anyone's list for, you know, I need a movie where I really have to think about the plot and I really, really need to dive into the, uh, the, the minutia of what this movie's about. And Happy Gilmore hits all those buttons. That's right. Uh, came out February 16th of 96. It had a $12 million budget, uh, and it did well, way better than that. So it earned $39 million on a $12 million budget. Um, what I remember about this movie is, uh, was it still in high school? We made it to the playoffs. 
we were uh we had traveled down to eugene somewhere to playoffs and the team went out to the we went to the theater and saw happy gilmore and i thought it was super hilarious and funny and because again at the hotel i this is how i see that going hey let's go see a movie cool uh rob what do you want to go see i don't know i need something that's going to challenge me intellectually (laughs) well i think happy gilmore is in the theater there you go that yep I, that's how I hear that conversation, and the rest of the team being like, "You're right. We need something. Good idea. Something to challenge our, you know, yeah. core feelings today." And All that, right, and that's a movie too that even we would quote later, and it, that it everyone quotes of, yeah, today. Kind of fit the humor. Um, I have that somewhere else, and we'll talk about a little more later. So, my number nine, and I don't know if you've even seen this. I hope maybe you have because it's really good. It's called Beautiful Girls. Um, stars Matt Dillon, Uma Thurman, and Natalie Portman. Young Uma Thurman and Natalie Portman. Um, so the basis of this movie is uh, it's a guy goes back to where he grew up, and everyone he knew is still in town, and he'd moved away to like Chicago or something. So he's kind of a big deal architect or something like that. But he goes back, and everybody in town's kind of got relationship type problems and whatnot. But uh, so they kind of deal with all those things. Matt Dillon's. Uh, his ex-girlfriend from high school, Matt Dillon, was a big deal in high school, but now he's not a big deal. And she married someone who's really wealthy and a big deal. So, But he's still kind of like trying to cheat with her even though he's got a girlfriend and all these other things. So it sounds a little like sappy soap opery, and it could have gone that way. But the dialogue's real good. Everybody in it's real good. Uh, Natalie Portman's young. She's like 13 or 14, but she's like giving sage advice to uh, Timothy Hutton's character and... But overall, just an enjoyable movie. I remember in Japan, we watched it a lot. A lot of the guys I hung out with, we liked this. They had some quote about not letting them see behind the curtain, and that was talking about um, females seeing what guys really talk about, things like that. Yeah, I have to be honest, I've never heard of it. I'm over here Googling it because I, it's got, a, like you said, killer, well, killer cast. So and, Rotten Tomatoes on this is 78%. So that's really good from critics. And the audience is an 80%. So... When people watch this, they like it. So now that I know you haven't seen it, I recommend. Uh, this is why you didn't like movies from '96 because you didn't know the good movies that were floating around. The uh, the tagline on the movie poster of the time said, "The best date movie of the '90s." Yeah, I can see that because by the end of the movie, a lot of the relationship problems kind of get remedied because that's what movies do. You're going to solve some problems. There's a cool scene in there where they sing "Sweet Caroline." Everybody sings it, and then Uma Thurman kind of plays this girl who came back to town who was younger than them but she's grown up and obviously looks like Uma Thurman and but she's cool so everybody's wanting to hang out with her and all the other girls kind of don't like her a lot and but she's kind of giving sage advice too because she went off to the big city as well Well, I'm going to add that to my must watch watch list you should I I won't say (laughs) must watch Uh, it's not a must watch but if you need something to watch uh, I've never not enjoyed watching it so it's a it's a good it's a good solid choice all right, uh, my number eight is Fargo. Came out March '96. Um, it's on tons of, you know, top 100 films of all time. Um, I just remember being super uh, dark, uh, but then it was it had a great story. It, it was good storytelling. It was weird. It was it had all the things that um, that I enjoyed in a movie. So um, great acting, characters. Um, that's a definitely a movie I remember. So this movie's that movie's great, um, and you have it at number eight. Mm-hmm. And you said there's no good movies in 1996. And I'm looking at my and list now, and you have seven it, more movies oh. better than Fargo. After telling me you couldn't find anything, no, this is true. I mean, I was nominated for like best picture and everything, and you've got seven more. I'm interested in what your seven movies yeah. were, where you get to say, oh. 96 is not a good year for movies, but I'll put Fargo at eight. I'm immediately regretting this list. All right. What's your number eight? So my number eight is Tin Cup. So this is uh, Kevin Costner, Rene Russo, uh, Don Johnson. Those are your main drivers. Cheech Marin's his caddy. Uh, But he's a golfer, really good golfer. And um, he hires Rene Russo. She's like a psychologist to help him out because he's having some trouble golfing, I guess. Kevin Costner's character. But she's dating Don Johnson, who's on the tour. Well, Kevin Costner was a better golfer than Don Johnson, but 
he can't get out of his own way. Like he's kind of a hothead and these other things. So he never made the tour because he always kind of screws it up at the end. So he's working at a driving range and he's kind of a driving range pro, but he's like one of the best golfers anybody's ever seen. So one of my favorite scenes was, um, he's in this golf tournament to qualify for the U S open and he gets in a fight with Cheech Marin, his caddy, which they apparently do all the time. And he breaks every one of his clubs in the bag, uh, to make a point except his seven iron. And he's on like the third hole. And so, or he's, he's going to the back nine, something like that. And so he tells Don Johnson afterwards, I shot par on the back nine with my seven iron. Can you shoot par? And he said, well, it never dawned on me to try. And he said, why'd you shoot par with your seven iron? He goes, yeah, I broke all my other clubs. So, but that's the kind of golfer he was. So, but he ends up going to the U.S. Open and he has a chance to win the U.S. Open, but he gives it away at the end, like he does on all the other uh, events that he's in. But he ends up getting the girl and he becomes the, uh, feel good person of the story, uh, but it's funny. Uh, I like the golfing scenes and little fun note. Happy Gilmore, the movie, when they first were making it, they wanted Kevin Costner, not Adam Sandler, but Kevin Costner was busy filming another golfing movie, Ten Cup, and so then they went to Adam Sandler, and then Adam Sandler rewrote with his writer uh, from Saturday Night Live. They rewrote the entire script to make it more Sandlerish. Because it wasn't quite what it was when they wanted Costner to do it. Okay. All right. Yeah, didn't make my, didn't even come close. It was on the cutting room floor. So. Well, you don't like golf. Yeah, I'm not a golfer. And I don't even know if you like Kevin Costner. I don't, actually. I'm not a Kevin Costner fan. I, I think he plays the same character in every movie. I mean, he does, but there's about 50 actors I could say that about. That's true. Is Will Smith that much different in every movie he's in? No. I've seen one movie, maybe two, he's different. Uh, Six Degrees of Separation, and then maybe the Ali movie, right? But then it just feels like Will Smith doing a Muhammad Ali impression more than it feels like, you know. True, true. All right. Now, I, I, I'm scared to read the rest of mine because my list falls apart after. All right, here we go. Well, that's what this podcast is about. There we go. In fact, I look forward to your train wrecks <laughs> is what I do. <laughs> this is bad. Number seven, Scream. December 18th, 1996. So for once, as I interrupt you, great minds think alike because I also have Scream at seven. No way. Uh, it still remains the highest grossing slasher film uh, and it was credited with revitalizing the slasher genre. And I just remember, I, I do find it weird that it came out December 18th. So what, what a week before Christmas of 96. Uh, seems like an odd time to release a, a slasher film. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes on this, 80%. So really good with critics. 79% with audience. Really good all the way around. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, David Arquette, those are your main drivers. But there's actually, at the time, a bigger star in this movie, uh, Drew Barrymore. Uh, and she's only in the movie for, what, six minutes? Five, six minutes? Um, I remember seeing this and shocked when she died in the first five or six minutes. You're like, when a movie starts out killing what you think is going to be, because she's on the poster. Like, she's the biggest person on the poster to go see that movie, and then she died in five minutes? Like, what's this movie going to do if you're killing what you think is going to be a main character that fast? But what I liked about this, what I loved about this movie is the way that they did a horror movie within a horror movie where, like, they're giving the rules of what you can and can't do. Uh, They're funny, but it's serious at the same time. What I like about The Killer is, you know, like with Mike Myers, Jason... You could shoot them, you can stab them, you can set them on fire, and they keep coming. But this ghost face, because it's just a normal person, they get hit with a door, they're knocked out. You know, you can knock them off, you can run away from them. Uh, You couldn't do with those others. So, but yeah, I I think this is a like iconic type of movie where this kind of changed how they made movies like that uh, after it came out. And um, I think they've made too many sequels, if you want my opinion. But the first one still stands. We watch it every Halloween, me and my kids. My kids love it, and uh, it's a yeah, it's a great movie. Well, maybe my list isn't so bad after all. I don't know. We'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, so Fargo to Scream is good. That still leaves six more better than those two. Again, to a um, list that you said you couldn't come up with because there were no good movies. And you've already had three good movies. All right. Okay. All right. My uh, my number six, uh, Romeo and Juliet, Leonardo DiCaprio. Really? <laughs> Yes, right. That's November 1st, 96. And discuss. So that movie, everyone watched that movie. And everybody thought it was cool because you're doing Romeo and Juliet, which isn't uh, that exciting when reading Shakespeare. You know, it, the dialogue's hard. It's not always easy to understand. 
But then you've got they're in real time with driving like cool cars or shooting guns instead of swords. Um, you've got Leo, you've got Claire Danes, um, which, which by the way, they hated each other on set. It turned out. Um, and you've got, um, a bunch of others in there, um, making it a cool version of that. And they're playing what popular music Mm -hmm. on top of that. So that's what draws everybody in. So I remember, I remember really liking it and I've watched it since and thinking, wow, this really looks like the middle of the nineties, like really bad. No, I, I just, the in my notes, I put different and edgy. I just remember it being different. I think there was even a soundtrack to it that was uh, somewhat popular. Uh, but I remember my sister being into this, and um, that was kind of a, a common thing that we enjoyed. Uh, but I thought it was a, a cool, modernized version of, a, of an old story, and it was just different than what was out at the time. So. Well, that's what it was. You take something again that's hard to understand maybe sometimes with Shakespeare not for everyone but for maybe the target audience you go for which is teenagers at that point and you get beautiful people and then you have a cool soundtrack and guess what millions of dollars so no I saw this movie uh, it was a good movie didn't make my list um, but uh, it was still a solid movie back then and a lot of people really did like it a lot probably because DiCaprio and Claire Danes were in it you know all right your number six. So my number six is really good. It is the Cable Guy. All right. So this has Jim Carrey, Matthew Broderick, and uh, a young Jack Black. As a matter of fact, uh, Rotten Tomatoes in this only fifty five percent. Audience only fifty one percent. And I think that stems from when he did this movie. He's coming off of Dumb and Dumber. He's coming off of Ace Ventura. He's coming off The Mask. So we're used to living color. So we're used to wacky, crazy Jim Carrey. And that's not what this was. This was a, a dark comedy where he's a um, cable guy, but he's a little uh, sociopath on top of it. And he gets fixated on Matthew Broderick because he wants to be friends and starts doing a lot of crazy things. But it's so funny. Uh, if you watch it as a black comedy, a dark comedy, uh, really, really, really funny. Yeah, that made my cutting room, but uh, it I toyed with putting it up there because I think of the transition from his goofy movies to this dark, edgy movie. So, no, I think that's a great pick. Well, that's why he wanted to make it because it wasn't those other movies, those styles, because he'd gotten used to being over-the-top Jim Carrey, and that's what was bankable. So at first, studios didn't want to do this because it wasn't that, and they were worried it wouldn't. And it wasn't as popular as those other movies, but I would say going on... Uh, later, looking back, this should be up there because it's it's really good. It's it's smart. It's more smartly written than those other movies. Um, and I still like the basketball scene. Um, I think it's really funny because I've I played basketball for a really long time. I didn't play in high school, but we played all the time. Basically, pick up ball, and I've I played in the Air Force a little bit. And there's always a guy like that at the gym <laughs> where he's just got too much energy. And we're like, dude, we're just it's just Saturday morning. We're just playing to have fun. Uh, I want to win, but not at that cost. Um, and so I've seen that guy at the court many, many times. So it always makes me laugh because it's very, uh, it's very relevant to playing pickup ball. No, that's a great pick. Uh, my number five. Okay, disclaimer: When I looked this up, and this may violate the rules, it had a limited release in the United States, December twenty ninth of ninety five. But then it went wide release January 5th of 96. So I'll allow it. You'll allow it. Okay. Uh, is 12 Monkeys January that's, 5th, 96. That's great. Um, I didn't even see that on my research. So maybe that's because it fell because of the limited release. It might have fallen on a 95 list. Um, but I do remember seeing that in 96. So uh, yeah, that's I'll, I'll allow that. And I picked it because I specifically remember the acting and i thought i thought uh uh brad pitt's acting was crazy good and great movie and there's kind of has some relevance with the pandemic and still it's got some uh it still kind of holds well i think but no great movie i loved it is that one of your heady movies it is it's a very heady movie yeah because i'll be honest first two times i watched that because that was one of those movies uh i had friends like you got to watch this movie. It's like so smart and so good. And then I watched it and I was like, 
I don't. I didn't quite understand what was happening all the way. I watched it the second time, and I got a little more, but still don't quite know everything that's going on. Um, so that was always my impression of 12 Monkeys. I could tell it was smart. I could tell it was filmed well. It's kind of dark and depressing, a lot of raining and some other things going on. But uh, I will be honest, it's kind of like Inception, if you've ever seen Inception. I can watch that movie over and over, and I don't always even know what's going on the whole time. That's a great comparison to Inception. I, yep, very good. Uh, your number five. My number five is an outstanding movie. And if you haven't seen it, uh, I'm actually going to be a little upset. Um, it's called That Thing You Do. All right. This is a Tom Hanks produced movie, but he's also in it. It's done by his, what, Playtone. I think it was our first big movie. It's got Steve Zahn, Liv Tyler. Uh, so this is about a fictional band called The Wonders. And they put out that so- a song called That Thing You Do. This song actually even got on the radio and was real popular. And it's one of the catchiest songs you'll ever hear in your life. Um, if you haven't heard it, go listen to it now. Um, this show is so funny. So Steve Zahn is the jewel of this movie. Um, at the beginning, they're called The Wonders. And it's spelled O-N-E. D-E-R-S, like a one, ders. So Tom Hanks gets a hold of him and says, we're changing the name, it's too confusing. We're going to spell it W-O-N-D-E-R-S. And uh, Steve Zahn goes, you mean like, I wonder what happened to the O-Neaters? Because <laughs> people would call them the O-Neaters. Um, so then they go on the road. It's all about being a one-hit wonder, and then the band breaks up, and um, it, there's a lot of funny, but there's a scene when they go out to California too, that is priceless where they're in a movie. They're being in some like Gidget style 50 surfer movie. And the lead singer's like, I don't want to be doing this. He goes, this isn't what the wonders are about. And Steve Zahn says, well, that's the thing. We're not the wonders right now. We're Captain Geach and the shrimp shack shooters. I do remember. (laughs) And so that movie, I will never not laugh watching it. Uh, My wife and I both love it. Uh, It's a great movie. Um, again, if you haven't seen it, you need to watch it immediately. And, uh, I promise you won't be disappointed. No, I, that came across my list. It's on my cutting room, but I, I, I remember, uh, you laughing at that, the Captain Geach and the ship. Oh, it's good. If we do a list earlier, when we were talking about Jesse and the Rippers on a previous episode and we do a list of, uh, mythical bands that don't exist, Captain Geach would probably be close to number one. (laughs) Because I just want to be in a band that's called Captain Geach and the Shrimp Shack Shooters. If I could find a t-shirt with that, I'd probably put it on right now. It, yeah, I'm sure you could find one. Uh, my number four. Um, okay, disclaimer on this one. I'm I'm not even sure the movie that I'm I'm that fond of the movie. My only reason for picking this movie was the soundtrack, but it's she's the one starring Jennifer Aniston. Uh, that is interesting. Uh, I know. Uh, I will add that Jennifer Aniston was nominated for a Golden Raspberry for the for Worst New Star. And this was her first movie after the 1993 juggernaut Leprechaun. Can you give me any of the plot of that movie? I just know there's some it's it's a love story. I don't know. I mean that that's nice. I, I, I like your the pre-show Tom, research. The, the Tom Petty soundtrack is what it, it's one of my favorite. It's a standalone album. So that's why I put it on number four. Strictly yeah. for the music. You know, we have an opportunity to do pre-show research, and you can't even come up with part of the plot <laughs> no. other than it's a love story. No. And I know Jennifer Aniston, well, she wasn't even a main, she was just part of the ensemble. She wasn't even a lead. And for our, our listeners that have been here the whole time, uh, Rob said there were no good movies in 1996. <laughs> so then he then lists Independence Day, Scream, and Fargo. And I still have three. To three only left. have She's the One that he has no idea what the plot is. Ahead of those, yeah, I know. And that is a that's a that's a bold <laughs> choice right there. Bold choice. So anybody just listening, Tom Petty's soundtrack is it sold it. Or you like it just because Jennifer Aniston's in it? No. Okay, I'm not a, not a Jennifer a Aniston fan. No, I wasn't a fan. She's funny in certain things. Yeah, but hey, one more thing on that thing you do. I I kind of omitted mm-hmm. real quick. The Rotten Tomatoes on that is 94%. Oh, wow. So critics are all over that movie and 78% in the audience. So um, I'm not the only one that thinks that's a pretty excellent movie. Pretty low budget movie too. Small little small little thing, but uh, big big in laughs and big in entertainment. Well, my number four, uh, one of the movies that you didn't think was good in 1996, uh, is also Fargo. Uh, 
Rotten Tomatoes on this, 94%. Audience on this, 92%. Coen Brothers, obviously. Francis McDormand, William H. Macy, Steve Buscemi. Those are your big drivers. It was nominated for two Oscars. Uh, Francis McDormand won for uh, acting. And the uh, Coen Brothers won for original screenplay. So that was pretty good. It was also nominated for Best Picture, as we addressed earlier. Um, this movie's this movie's great. Like you said, I don't want to spend too much time on it, but uh, listening, it's probably overdone, but listening to the North Dakotan accents. Mm-hmm. Uh, Frances McDormand is fabulous in this. She's pregnant, but she's solving this homicide, and she's everyone's like, oh, they're kind of funny looking and doing all these little voices. And, um, and then at the end, Steve Buscemi's getting put into a wood chipper. The wood chipper, um, yep. by the go-to Russian actor. Mm-hmm. He was in every '90s movie when you needed a Russian. He was in Armageddon, yes. all those. So, yep. Um, but yeah, this is really good movie. Still okay. really good today. You can watch it right now. It's really good. Uh, William H Macy kind of plays a good pansy in this movie. Oh, that's right, he does. So. so your number four was Fargo. Mine was She's the One. Seems pretty equitable. Yeah. <laughs> So no. so again, oh, just like your last one. What was your last one? But my number five. Yeah, twelve monkeys. And she's the one is number four. four. Oh. And I went with Fargo. You went with she's yeah, the one. I don't know. And again, twelve monkeys was below. She's the one. Wait, uh, I haven't heard that soundtrack all the way. It's really good. And it must be for it's good. for that to climb that high. Yep. No, nope. so. that's good. Well, uh, hopefully your number three is just as good as she's the it's, one. No, it's not. Because it's Twister, May 10th, 96. <laughs> so, this is a big budget. Like, it was the second highest grossing film of 96. Have, right behind the, Independence Day. I got it. When's the last... Did you, you saw that in 96? Yes. And you enjoyed it as your third favorite movie that year? Yes. It, well, it, the special tell effects me, at the time. The yeah, tell me what tell me what you got that that really propelled it above Fargo I, and everything else. I think the special effects, is the surround sound. My dad had a big old surround sound system. We went to the. the it was another theater one. Popcorn. The, it was it's, the special know. effects of the cow spinning around. Yeah, and that one that had the Dodge truck at the time, which is cool. And I mean, anyway, Twister number three. So Twister didn't. You can do yours. Yeah, Twister didn't make my you list. Know, can, um, I thought it was a little cheesy. Um. Had the late great Bill Paxton, and I just—he is great. Yeah, but I—I I just didn't have a lot of investment in Tornado Hunters, so mm-hmm. I've seen it, you know. But you got the the scene where they're driving and Helen Hunt's like cow, yeah, car, tire, and yeah. things are bouncing at the. There's a love story seems, mixed in, it's, and then they held yeah. on to like a pipe, yeah, and that's what saved them yeah, they from this. Strapped themselves. To it pipe. ripped an entire barn off the yard, mm-hmm. but them two holding onto a pipe was fine. That's realistic. I got you. Okay. Twister. Um, All right. You're number three. Moving on. Yeah. Well, no. We don't have to move on yet. So, Twister, I, I understand why it's on your list. I again it's number just 76 didn't... all time highest grossing films? Yeah. It, so, people so that's it. a popular money film. Yeah. Uh, I just don't know if it's the best watchable film, especially ahead of. You Again, you have it ahead of Happy Gilmore, I, Fargo, Scream, 12 I, Monkeys. Maybe I felt I was a little rushed. I don't know. Maybe I didn't put... All right. Maybe I didn't do my homework. I had the same amount of time know. as you. I don't know. All right, my number three, and I don't know why. Maybe you have it later, but you should have it at all times. Is uh, Swingers? I never saw it. I'm so upset right now. Yeah. If anyone could see what was happening, the rage in my face <laughs> is never saw indescribable, it. as it turns out. No, this. So Rotten I, Tomatoes, eighty-eight percent. Audience, eighty-eight percent. This is John Favreau's first like directorial thing. Vince Vaughn's in it. Was it Vince Vaughn's first? No, he was in Rudy. Mm, oh, okay. Yeah, first big part. Rudy was kind of small. Yeah. So, this is when in you remember in the mid '90s there was kind of a swing, big band revival. Yeah, I do remember that. Chain wallets, mm-hmm. the whole big thing. Mm-hmm. And so he makes this movie, the patent leather shoe thing, and the, yeah. the, the pants. Yeah, and he yeah. based this movie on hanging out in L.A. Uh, with his friends, really. And at the time, the people that are in it, Vince Vaughn, all of them, they're just his friends. So he just cast them. Um, the crappy apartment that he's living in in the movie, that's his actual apartment during the time. The car they're driving around, that's John Favreau's actual car. So budget was real small on this, uh, obviously. Um, and in fact, the big cameo in the film, although they weren't that popular popular yet, uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy, 
uh, was playing in the bar they were in. Well, literally, John Favreau had become friends with them uh, going to this bar in L.A., and he just asked if they'd just play in the background. They're like, yeah, why not? They figured it'd be good publicity for them trying to get people back into their sound, that big band sound, which worked because they had a two, three-year window where Big Guy Voodoo Daddy was pretty popular. They were in another movie, Blast from the Past. Yeah, I know nothing of that movie. I just remember there was some there was some one-liners from that movie. Oh, there was so, some like a pretty so, baby or something oh, yeah. like that. Or, so uh, they got all kinds of liners in that movie. The big one, and a lot of people were saying in the 90s, it was money. Like yes. everything in the movie was money. That, and money meant, obviously, if you know, you know. But if not, it means it's really good. So, I mean, we had people in school being like, oh, that's money. You know, I had people around the school or whatever. Oh, that's so money. You know what I mean? And so money was there. Uh, he did things like he'd call... Uh, it may be creepy now, but Vince Vaughn would call uh, women beautiful babies, and he had all these little. It was kind of like a maybe a throwback, trying to talk like twenties and thirties or something again. Um, but there's some really good lines in it, and the most cringe moment in a movie I've ever seen. Uh, John Favreau met a girl at a bar. She gives, I think it's Heather Graham, gives her, gives him her phone number. He goes home and calls her immediately. Didn't like the message he sent, so he calls back. He calls like 23 times in a row and you're watching this in the theater or at home and you're just like, stop calling. <laughs> just stop doing it. He's leaving like 30 messages in a row. And then towards the last one, she calls back and goes, don't ever call me again. It is the most, un- one of the most uncomfortable things you have to watch because he just <laughs> keeps dialing the phone and you want to say, dude, just stop dialing the phone. Yeah, no, I, I'm even Googling it over here because I don't. I just remember there being some pop culture references that I I remember saying money, so now I know where it comes from. Um, so we have beautiful girls and swingers. You should be watching. I'll add that to my must watch list. Uh, my number two, oh, uh, it was the third highest grossing film of '96. I thought that was Twister. No, that was second. All right, uh, Mission Impossible. See, that's a good movie. Okay, all right, good. Uh, it's uh, it, it well, it smashed the short-lived record held by Twister for having the biggest May opening, and I just put it on because it was a film experience. I just remember it being again. This was when we went to the movie theater. It was popcorn. It was it was it, loud. It was you know had a kind of a twist to it. Um, so yeah, and I think that might have kind of been my uh, uh, initiation into like Tom Cruise. That was kind of a revitalization for him. He kind of came back and he became a thing then. Yeah. No, Mission that's Impossible. good. That's a good one. I don't know if it belongs at number two, but, um, look, I like that better than she's the one. If, if we're being honest. Um, so, <laughs> okay. So that's my number two. I'm interested what you cut for. She's the one. And again, in the future, the criteria is it's supposed to be a good movie. Uh, we can do an episode on, Great movie soundtracks. I'm 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 in for that, uh, but you know, that's fair. You know, so that's fair. Uh, yeah, I cuddle. Yeah, no, I don't want to talk about. It. All right. Well, my number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you mentioned earlier, but it's Happy Gilmore. So uh, Rotten Tomatoes in the sixty five percent. So critics, it's okay. Audience eighty five percent. So this is an audience movie. Uh, we know the players: Adam Sandler, Christopher McDonald. If you don't remember, Shooter McGavin, and then Julie Bowen, and then Carl Weathers is. Uh, Chubbs Chubbs Peters yep. So For me This movie is hilarious My kids and I used to watch it They laugh I mean we can quote this All day long But what this movie did I think It has Two They're not even the main characters And two of the best Side characters in a movie I can think of Right So the first one is um, Shooter McGavin mm-hmm. He makes one of the best uh, Arch rival Nemesis in a movie Sports movie that I've ever seen. And everyone knows Shooter. He gets called Shooter today. He has a Twitter mm-hmm. handle that's Shooter McGavin. Everything about him, he's cringy, he's creepy, he's terrible, he's hilarious. He tells that stupid joke about the Hasselhoff in the sand. I mean, <laughs> he is a perfect character to play off of Happy Gilmore and one of the best uh, anti-heroes in a sports movie. But the other one, one of the best cameos is Ben Stiller is in this. And he's not even credited in this movie. Mm-hmm. But he plays an orderly at the nursing home that his grandma has to go to. His scenes are hilarious. When he is acting nice and then he says, you will go to sleep or I will put you to sleep. That, I mean, it's gold. Or when the lady says, my fingers hurt because he's making them sew blankets 
And he goes, oh, well, now your back's going to hurt because you just got landscaping duty. I mean, he's only in the movie for about two and a half minutes, and he steals those scenes. He is hilarious. This is about the, uh, could I trouble you for a warm warm glass glass of of milk? Shut the hell up. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Shut the hell up. I mean, it is, he is so good in that. And, And look, Adam Sandler's good, but everyone around him is better than him. Chubbs is better. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even talking about Chubbs, and Chubbs is hilarious, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the whole time. Um, and then with Happy, with uh, Happy's character, probably my favorite scene is when he uh, yells at the clown because he keeps spitting the ball out, and then he knocks the nose off, and he says, you're not laughing now, are, are you, clown? Or I don't know. <laughs> it's it's so good. It's quotable. It's funny. The, it, the Mr. Mr. Lady. Oh, Mr. I mean, Mr. so you Mr. see, yeah. it's endless. Mm-hmm. Um He's hitting golf balls. He's like, uh, they said, hey, we'll see you at the Waterbury Open tomorrow. He said, yeah, and then he gives him a thumbs down. And I mean, it's just, he's beating up his caddy. I yep. mean, that movie's timeless. It's hilarious. Um, I know it's maybe lowbrow humor, but I don't care. I'll always laugh. <laughs> and it's got great supporting cast in it. Uh, one of the things that I remember about that movie that I think is uh, subtle, but it's funny when he goes to shake Chubbs' hand and he's because he's lost his hand to the alligator and he, and he kind of just, Pats it, taps it, because he realizes he can't shake it. So. Well, yeah, and right before that, the first time he sees Chubb's fake hand, he goes, they wouldn't let me play on the tour anymore. And Happy says, oh, because you're black. And he goes, <laughs> hell no, because damn alligator bit my hand off. And he puts his hand up, and, and Happy just goes, oh, my God, like yeah, really right. loud. I yes. mean, the way he delivered that, it was so funny. But, yeah, from start to finish. I mean, you got a hockey player trying to be a golf player It. It shouldn't work, and it's still one of the. It's probably his best movie, I think. Uh, Billy Madison mm-hmm. would be a close second, but um, Happy Gilmore's probably his best one. All right, Happy Gilmore number two. Golly. Well, so, that brings us to our segment we call the Cut Line. So, uh, for anyone not familiar with the show on the Cut Line, uh, both of us are going to give two movies um, that were apparently worse than She's the One. <laughs> Uh, that w- didn't make the list, so we had to drop them, cut them off the cut them off the line, and then we have what's called an honorable mention movie. So this is a movie that you would have caught later uh, after '96 and realize that was a great movie, and you would have definitely been in your top ten for 1996 had you been watching it at that time. So Rob, what are your two cuts? Oh boy! All right, so my uh, first cut is uh, the blow 'em up movie Broken Arrow. February 9th, 1986, Christian Slater, John Travolta. Strictly because one of my favorite lines in a movie is, would you mind not shooting at the thermonuclear weapons? That Nobody delivers horrible dialogue like John Travolta. And he said Nobody. It, he, he, he made me believe it, and I, I still quote it every now and then in my head. So that movie seems like every 17 to 25-year-old guy should like it's got blowing things up there's trains i mean everything's there and i just never liked that movie but this is peak travolta um i'll always say in the 90s there were two really good over actors uh who were just doing things way over the top all the time and that's nicholas cage and john travolta and in this case travolta is at peak the way he delivers his lines there's no reason for him to be so uh, emphatic all the time. Um, he's overacting quite a bit, uh, but that thermonuclear line, it's just a horrible piece of dialogue, but somehow he sells it because of his kind of, I guess, great acting. Um, he's only getting these movies this time based off of the resurgence in Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction. And so people are like, okay, maybe he's bankable again. So, Because he had another movie this year, which isn't on my list. Um, I don't know if it's your cut. but It's not on my uh, so it's safe Phenomenon. I didn't have any so. other John Travolta movies on my list. You probably shouldn't. Okay. But he had several. He had Michael and and Phenomenon that same year. Yeah, he's on fire that year. So Pulp Fiction came out in 94. Yeah, Pulp Fiction came out in 94. And then he had a run of movies where it was like Swordfish, these mm-hmm. movies, Face Off. And um, then he kind of started to fade out again. When did Face Off come out? Uh, 97. That's a 97? It okay. is. Oh, yeah, 97. All right. Um, my other cut is, okay, this is one that you may not know. Um, and this gets me, I think back into, it probably should have made my top 10. Uh, cause if you haven't seen it, it's actually a really good movie. It's another Francis uh, McDormand movie. Uh, but it's called Lone Star came out June 21st, 1996. Chris Cooper, Chris Christopherson, Matthew McConaughey, 
it won an Oscar or was nominated for best writing for an Oscar. So uh, takes place in the South or uh, uh, Southern United States. Uh, it's got kind of a generational. He's a cop. Dad was a cop. Um, it's got a good storyline to it. Um, great writing, great acting. So Lone Star. So I do know this movie. Good. I know a lot of movies. So, but yeah, um, I've seen it once. Definitely, this does actually fall into your category of like a heady movie. Yes, it like does. a thinking person's movie. Maybe not quite as high as she's the one, but uh, obviously because it didn't make the list, and she's the one did. Yeah, it probably should have. So, and Happy Gilmore uh, made the list, and this didn't. And your criteria was heady movies, and it's on a lot so of lists of best movies, and so. Anyway, yeah, it, so but it wasn't a popcorn movie, so the no. majority of people didn't see it. It was probably a you found it in the mm-hmm. video store type of movie. Yep, you were in a blockbuster on a Friday night. And you're like, I need something, but all the good ones were out. So then you start going, Hey, what what else is good? Is there like a recommendation? Or probably something? made some Oscar lists or something, and people went out and read it anyway. Yeah, um, so those are good cuts. Okay, so uh, don't be ashamed. Probably should have been on the list over. She's the one. I think we've established that. So my two. Uh, cuts. The first one is Independence Day. Um, okay. Big blast, big blockbuster, as you uh, established earlier. Um, things are blowing up, so it seems like it's exciting, but it's not as exciting as you think it is. And I, so it's it's okay. Like I remember it. I remember thinking, yeah, I was looking at some special effects here. I mean, they blew up the White House, they did all these other things. Okay. My other one is maybe a more heady movie, as was. This almost made the list. It was hard to leave it off, actually. A Time to Kill. So this is a procedural um, with Matthew McConaughey's lawyer. Um, Sam Jackson killed a couple of basically white supremacists because they um, assaulted his daughter. And then they go through the trial because they're in the South, so is he getting a fair trial? Matthew McConaughey is trying to defend him. Uh, Kevin Spacey's the you know DA, the lawyer, trying to convict Sam Jackson. And there's a because Matthew McConaughey is representing... Sam Jackson, uh, Samuel L. Jackson, let's say it the right way. Um, he's getting a lot of death threats, um, and then his house gets set on fire by the KKK, some other things. Uh, but really well-acted movie, Sandra Bullock is in it. Um, it's a John Grisham book, yes? One. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, But, yeah, those are my cuts. Independence Day, Time to Kill. Also, uh, that same year, The Chamber, John Grisham, John Grisham movie. So he was doing well. In the 90s, he was. Uh, they just took every book of John Grisham and said, let's just, uh, let's green light this. Turn it into a movie. Yep. All right. Honorable mention. It, it also, my criteria, my selection for my reason for selecting this movie is strictly on the soundtrack. I, I know I didn't follow the rules. Uh, it's a goofy little movie. It's called heaven's prisoners. It's with, uh, um, Alec Baldwin. And I picked it because of the soundtrack. Had a great blues soundtrack. Junior Wells, Albert King, Buddy Guy, Kenny Neal, Arthur Franklin, BB King, uh, got me into blues. So I picked it. And it's actually not a bad movie. It he's a it takes place down in Louisiana. He's a private investigator. Um, and yeah, hijinks ensue. That's I will I, take your word for it. I've actually not heard of that movie, and I've heard a lot of movies, and you got me. So you always find a way to uh, throw me a curveball. But I can't say anything bad about it because I don't know anything about it. I can talk bad about She's the One, but I can't say anything bad about this. So I will trust that that is a uh, quality choice. So, Well, now that we've covered the cuts and you've given your honorable mention and mine, i got to give my honorable mention. Oh, yeah, let's do that. So I'll give my honorable mention. It is The Birdcage. Um, I did not see this the first time around. Um, actually, I don't know why I, I liked Robin Williams. I like him a lot. Um, just for some reason it didn't pop up. Uh, but my wife loves this, loves this movie. And so I watched it later with her and it is really funny. So if you don't know the premise of the bird cage, um, Robin Williams is married to Nathan Lane. They live down in Miami and then their son is getting married to Allie, the woman who played Allie McBeal. And her dad is a Republican senator for the United States. And so they meet. And obviously, you know, funny things are going to happen because as a conservative Republican senator and then your future son-in-law's got two dads, you know, um, they're gay. They own a gay burlesque show down in Miami. So you get all the Gene Hackman played dad. Gene Hackman did play the dad. But you know who steals that show? Robin Williams funny. Nathan Lane really funny. It's the houseboy. <laughs> Hank Azaria. Yes, he is. He's gold in that movie. So 
uh, I, I would watch that over and over again just to watch his uh, his his acting because it's it's really really funny. And that's not to sell Nathan Lane short. He always plays over dramatic really well. Um, so, but yeah, really good movie. Uh, saw it way later, way later. So probably in the two thousand sometime. That made my cutting room floor. Um, and I was thinking the same thing with Frank Azari. I thought he made the movie. Well, it's Hank. Yeah. Hank Azari. But Frank sorry. is fine. Frank, Hank, whatever. Uh, tells me you really, really wanted to see that movie a lot because <laughs> you don't even know the names. Oh, Frank Azaria and, hey. uh, you know, Nathan Lone. So, We're making up fine. people now. Yeah. So what is... My number one? Number one. Everyone's <sighs> obviously waiting to hear I think I redeem, all the other I think runs. I redeemed myself on number one because it's. I don't think it's a bad one. Courage Under Fire, July 12, 1996. Yeah. Uh, Solid. Denzel Washington. If you haven't seen it, he's investigating a, an incident that's happened in the line of uh, battle, and he's investigating what actually happened and uncovering it. You got uh, Lou Diamond Phillips. You got uh, you know, uh, Meg Ryan. Uh, so, yeah, a, a young Matt Damon. So Very young. He's like really skinny. He lost like, I don't know, 100 pounds for that movie. Yeah, or he's like, like he was addicted or something. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, that's my number one. I, I just I like a good war movie, and um, it's a good good storytelling. It's good writing. Uh, and yeah. you can't go wrong with Denzel Washington. I mean, yeah, I I've seen that movie. Everything about that movie should work, and I found it uh, slow. So, um, but that's this is coming from someone who really loves Happy Gilmore. So maybe I wasn't I wasn't being heady enough at that time, right? I don't know, but it's a good movie. What's your number one? So my number one is a great movie, uh, and it needs to go on your must list if you haven't seen it. It is primal fear. Okay. That's so a court, court drama, yeah. That is a court drama. But um, well, first, Rotten Tomatoes seventy seven percent, audience eighty nine percent. Richard Gere is your main uh, actor in this. Laura Linney and Edward Norton's first movie. Um, this movie, yeah, like you said, it's courtroom drama. Basically, Ed Norton's character is uh, accused of killing a priest, and so it's a big case like a lot of publicity and so Richard Gere's a big defense lawyer so he takes it on pro bono to try to get him off these charges um, but what makes this movie one it's got a great ending um, I won't spoil the ending but it is fantastic and two there's Edward a, there's a twist in there there's yeah, a twist uh, and Edward Norton is the whole reason this movie now everyone else is acting good um, Richard Gere's being Richard Gere that's what he does Laura Linney's really good but Ed Norton in this so he's playing two different parts. He's got a split personality. He's like a slow, unassuming Southern kid from Kentucky in one. And the other one, he's just a crazy, he's real, got a foul mouth. He's angry. Uh, so he's got these two parts. And so he's going back and forth between these two parts. Frances McDormand in this again, by the way, she's a psychiatrist. I mean, he kills this movie. He got nominated for best supporting actor for the Oscars and criminally lost to Cuba Gooding Jr. for Jerry Maguire, which is nowhere near my list. That was also nominated for Best Picture, which is nonsense. We can talk about that another day. But him losing to uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., I will say, is one of the worst things I've seen at the Oscars. Ed Norton should have won that thing going away if you look at the list. He is so good in this movie. He sells it. Um, I will watch this movie over and over again just to watch Ed Norton uh, act in this because it's that good. He, He had me engaged the whole way, and then when they do the twist ending, it was like, oh. So... Uh, Primal Fear, great movie. I recommend it to anyone that wants to watch like a drama court procedure with uh, some extra at it. That's a good choice. I do remember. I remember that ending being almost a kind of a uh, take your breath kind of like you're like, oh, you did not, see, you don't see it coming. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. It was the Sixth Sense before the Sixth Sense because then the Sixth Sense took away all mm-hmm. twist endings with the best twist ending, right? So if you haven't seen Sixth Sense by now, no, it has a twist ending. I don't know. What, what you've been doing but that's fine you can go find it so those are our 10 what, what really quick cutting room floor can you think of anything that made your cutting room floor i have a list yeah. here of uh shows that well I, can i can i list some well that, i had hold on go i had quite it. a few that may yeah. not be on your list so i had kingpin was really hard oh, to kingpin? leave off because mm-hmm. ernie mccracken is kind of like shooter <laughs> um i think he's your great uncle or something but yeah. bill murray in that is fantastic i mean it's kind of a gross out movie mm-hmm. but uh his 12 minutes he's in it is kind of gold. I could watch it just for that. Um, 
phenomenon is a mm-hmm. I, I I left that off the list. It's I enjoyed it. It's uh, kind of sappy, but it was an enjoyable movie. Uh, Biodome. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on my list of uh, stupid movies, uh, but I laugh every time. So I don't know what to tell you. It's uh, it's a good movie. I left Mission Impossible off. You covered mm-hmm. that. Um, I thought that was good. Where's where does the English patient fall in your terrible? Okay, I really don't like that movie. In fact, one of my favorite um, Seinfeld episodes is when everyone's trying to convince Elaine that that's the best movie anyone's ever seen. And in the theater, she's watching it with her boss and she's just like, you can see she's just in pain. And he goes, don't you like the English patient? And in the middle of the theater, she just yells out, I hate it. And nope. so, and she keeps yelling in the theater. She's like, well, you just die already. <laughs> Cause the lady just doesn't die in the movie. Uh, so look, I understand why it's Oscar worthy. I understand all those parts, but for me, it's like Dances with Wolves. It's just intolerable to watch. It's long. It's boring. You're not a Dances with Wolves fan? Horrible movie. No. And that winning Best Picture over Goodfellas is just another day conversation altogether. So I just don't need an eight-hour film watching Kevin Costner ride around on a horse looking for wolves. That's good. Uh, Sling Blade? Yeah. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, really good in that. Yeah. Uh, gosh, what else? Uh, Spy Hard came out that year. So, so you've got so after what we've talked about, now you've got the list of some of the maybe the oh yes, the no, oh, oh here's some great ones. You ready? Dunstan checks in. No, Matt LeBlanc, Ed. Yeah, he teaches a chimpanzee to play uh-huh. baseball. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, Muppet Treasure Island. Just real quick on that. Yeah. So you're Matt LeBlanc. Mm-hmm. You're in Friends. You're kind of you're on the upswing. Mm-hmm. They call you in. Hey, hey Matt. Who's here's the ad. Here's what we got. Right. right? In the 70s, we made a movie, and Clint Eastwood was in it, and he had an orangutan, and it was really funny. Isn't that every which way but loose or something? Mm-hmm. So yeah. we're thinking, we're going to give you a chimpanzee, and you're going to play baseball. What did that paycheck have to be mm-hmm. for him to go, yeah, I'll sign on? Sounds good. That, that paycheck had to be something. Mm-hmm. We're riding the friends wave, and then this is... this is. Yeah, but as an actor, all right, I'm doing well. I can probably Just pick some, a few things. Where's your integrity? And people are pitching me movies. Mm-hmm. And the one I land on is the training the chimpanzee to play baseball. Mm-hmm. So that paycheck had to be some, or he owed somebody something. That, that mm-hmm. like somebody got him on Friends, and now this is the okay. You can be on Friends, but you owe me one later. Mm-hmm. This is the O. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about uh, the Island of Doctor Moreau? We went to the theater and saw that. Do you remember that? We did. It, we did that. That was a waste of whatever we paid. Was that seven, eight dollars? And did we get a that's cine- a star-studded cast? You had you Cineplex had, uh, Odeon, you had Val Kilmer. You had. Uh, uh, Do you know how bad that movie is. <laughs> you know how bad it is. He's got that little person that follows him around. He's in like a white sheet mm-hmm. half of the movie. Like he, it's like cheesecloth or something. Mm-hmm. And he's really white or something. Yeah. And but, the movie makes no sense. I don't no. even know what's going on. Half Who, the time. Who's the other actor? Big, Val, Val no, Kilmer. No, but it, it, big time. Uh. Uh. uh he was in. Uh, he was the the Godfather. Well, yeah, Marlon Brando. Marlon Brando. Yeah, Thank he's you. the. Yeah, yeah he's the main guy. I don't care what he was in previously. That's bad. I don't know. Uh, here's some other ones. The Phantom. Yeah, I didn't see that one. All right, Dark Man Three. Yeah. So there's two before that. Uh, the Stupids. The Glimmer Man. Yeah. Uh, a little uh, nod to our last episode, uh, Project Alf. That yeah. was a, a TV movie. Uh, most profitable film that year was Rumble in the Bronx. Jackie Chan. Oh, yeah. There you go. I wasn't I wasn't in on the Jackie Chan thing. I know he caught fire there in the 90s. I've just never been a big kung fu mm-hmm. um, guy. Uh, Kazam. Kazam. I mean, is that the Shaq? I, I don't know. Shaq or Sinbad? It was one of those. I two. think it's Sinbad. It's Sinbad. So, well, another one I left off that I do want to mention before we sign off, the last one. It, it actually is funny, and... So it's one of the Wayans brothers' spoofs. It was Don't Be a Menace. Um, I think the whole title is Don't Be a Menace While Drinking Your Juice in the Hood or something yeah. like that. But it's silly. It's crass. But it was funny. Um, so yeah, Just to clarify, Kazam 96, that was Shaquille O'Neal. It was Shaq. See? Mm-hmm. That's, you know, Shaq's popular in Orlando. He's he's uh, rapping with Foosh Nickens, mm-hmm. and he's getting in movies. Mm-hmm. So um, he was less concerned with basketball, more concerned with being Shaq. So there you go. So that's it. I think that's uh, a good coverage of films, almost. Uh, we can debate a couple of them, as usual. Um, I think I made my stance clear on She's the One. Um, you didn't have any this time that you uh, 
squawked at me about um, on my list. No, your list was your list was legit. It was pretty, yeah, it was, was pretty good. It was very well thought out. I think so. And I had the same amount of time to think that you did. I don't know. So I don't, you got to no work excuses. on your pre-production preparation, no right? So, well, that brings us to the end of this episode. We hope you enjoyed reliving this, the movies of 1996. Uh, what did we get right or wrong? Uh, did we miss something? Uh, we named a lot of movies, but maybe we missed something. Uh, let us know. Um, our email and Twitter is on the show notes, so please drop us a line. Um, let us know how we did. Uh, let us know if we can do something in the future, a topic you'd like to hear. Uh, we'll address it if we can. Um, also, if you like the podcast, hit the subscribe button. Give us a thumbs up. Uh, that only helps the show grow. Also, share this episode with your friends, anybody you know that would like some 80s and 90s nostalgia. And we're available pretty much on every streaming podcast platform that you can get to. And we look forward to sharing more of our opinions with you in the future. And uh, we're having a great time. So we're going to keep doing it until someone tells us we have to stop. True statement. Uh, homework for next time. Homework for next time. So uh, we're going to go back to music because that's Rob's favorite thing. And we are going to go with the year 1988. So your top 10 songs, 1988. Same rules always apply. It's got to come out in 88. Um, and uh, it's got to be something you were listening to. Okay. So that's pretty much the criteria. All right. Top songs of 88. Top songs of 88. All right. Let's do it. Fancy goodbye? No fancy goodbye. No fancy goodbye. All right. Bye. All right. Later. Bye.